tonight I'd like to talk about myself. <laughs> Not really. I, I want to talk at, in the, yeah, we all do. Favorite topic. <laughs> I would like to talk about the, um, the personality view, uh, view of self. Also like to talk about um, about compassion and mercy. As we all know, the I, maybe we don't all know, but as uh, I like to think, everyone knows that the the direction of spiritual practice, and I think I could say the direction of the the teachings of the Buddha, and I see it as true in all wisdom traditions, not just not religions, but wisdom traditions that have as their purpose the, the potential of awakening and an expansion of consciousness. Precisely, uh, the direction is to move from the narrow, contracted, fixated, uh, persistent, insecure, unreliable vortex of of me, of all about me, of me and mine, moving from that very that world of um, of utter um, groundlessness to the toward the gravitational uh, field of uh, the Dharma, which is the, the, the gravitational field of openness, of love, of wisdom, of emptiness. Does that sound right? <laughs> and my hunch is that every... Tuesday night or however often you sit, what your um, implicit or perhaps hidden aim, but maybe explicit aim, is to step out of the stream of your uh, personality views and stories and uh, uh, pain, which is always born of the, at least the mental pain born of the of what I call the personality view, the view of ourselves, thoughts of ourselves, the story of ourselves, the, the uh, reflections on our situation, that I have a feeling that you practice in order to, uh, one, step out of that stream of distress and to touch something in you that is not that, that's not bound to that. And then the second half of practice, why you might practice, is to develop a, um, a way of working with, a wise relationship to the mental suffering that you have. Does that seem true? Okay. And having done this for uh, a long time, I'm, I'm more convinced every day that, uh, that our usual preoccupations are 
in a world of, of uh, dissatisfaction or in a world of, of something's not quite right, in a world of being buffeted or blown by the eight worldly dharmas that I always speak about, the, the waves, the winds that blow through our lives every day of praise and blame, fame and shame, gain and loss, and pleasure and pain. And that because we're blown by these winds and because the tendency is to want to um, feel a sense of security with one side of those polarities, to just have praise and not have blame, to just have fame and not have shame, to just have pleasure and not have pain, to just have gain and not have loss. We are continually, very innocently, in our desire to have some security, setting ourselves up for the groundlessness of that, um, of any attachment that we have to any particular state, any particular situation, any particular um, station in life, because they are by nature subject to to change. I'd like to just share a, a short vignette from my own life. It's, um, I still, I have maybe no, um, I shouldn't judge it at all, but this is a, a kind of, I'll call it a Dharma, Dharma teacher suffering or another form of privilege suffering or another form of bourgeois suffering. But nevertheless, it, it indicates that the winds that, can easily blow through all our lives. And it's just an example of how this happens. And in this case, it uh, was, I, over the last weekend, uh, four days, I've been on the road a lot leading retreats, and I, I led a retreat in this time in the, the countryside between Austin and Houston, Texas, at a place called Margaret Austin Center, where uh, this was the 22nd year that I've gone to lead retreats there. So I've developed quite a, um, I even said as such when I met with this group that I've developed a sense of a family, not unlike the way that I feel here with, uh, with you and being here with you. It's a great sense of love and affection and, and I look at everyone who I meet with there and a lot of people have been coming for many years and just as I feel when I look at you that I have this great I have this I love you and I just I feel and I look at you and I I see that every person here no matter what you think about yourself you're all beautiful and you're all you're all so as you should be uh, just that this is my one of my favorite themes that unique expression of life that no other person could be other than just the way you are formed in time by the, by the many conditions that have presented themselves in your life and how they couldn't be any other way. And you should not be any other way. And that, that the essence of what you are, both how you, how you manifest right here in real time, in, uh, not in virtual time, not in your imagination, but right here and what you are in your depth, in the depth of your being, not easy to put into words, I feel and I connect with, uh, without denying whatever 
uh, use the Yiddish word mishigas, whatever, without denying the stuff that plays, plagues you in your mind. I know that you are beautiful. I know that you are sufficient enough. There's not one person here that could convince me of their, uh, of their not okayness. Even though you would, you're, you're declaring to the world your un, not okayness all the time. That's because of the way we think. So anyway, I, I have this great fondness for this group. And they have a great fondness for me. I adore them, they adore me. And it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a love fest every year. And so I came home. Unfortunately, I didn't crawl into bed until midnight on Sunday night. Had to get up and get into the stream of uh, meeting with people early Monday morning. Crawled into bed at, at midnight, and because I was a little bit wired, I opened up my um, my computer, which I had had I had been unplugged for the days. Opened up my computer and opened up an email that was from the leader of the community, the Dharma community in Seattle, Washington, uh, forwarding me a uh, the excerpts of a voice message that he had gotten from. Uh, someone who had been to my previous retreat in Seattle, and I'm going back there again in a couple weeks, uh, asking that if I, if, if I would stick to the topic, <laughs> stick to the topic and to, um, uh, I don't need to give you the whole thing, but stick to the topic and uh, and to understand that um, that uh, we are very experienced students and we've <laughs> and I literally saw from a moment of feeling uh, the afterglow of praise to the the deflation of blame and even though this is such a mild kind of input and feedback, which I can understand, even though what it came out of is that I spent the first day of the retreat talking about the Buddha. But she totally, the person who sent the, the message totally missed the point because what I was trying to do in talking about the Buddha, see, I'm defending myself now. <laughs> what I was attempting to do in talking about the Buddha was how he came, because the the weekend was titled uh, something about the uh, about the uh, fictitious, uh, just somehow relating to our ego. Exactly what I wanted to talk about tonight. But why I spoke all day was to show moment by moment how the Buddha dissolved, how he saw through this self illusion, how he saw that there was absolutely no possible way for there to be some, an independent. Uh, self that existed apart from everything and all the influences, and it, by going through a certain sequence of how the how the Buddha r- awakened or realized uh, was a was my s- introduction into the direct experience and ideally the direct transmission of what that uh, what that is like to be um, free of a view of self. She didn't get that. All she heard was, oh, here's another person talking about the Buddha. We've all heard about the Buddha. So, 
So maybe she'll listen to this sometime. <laughs> it's the fun of having it streaming now on the internet. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> so you can see that that the with the deflation of the with the deflation of the personality view a view of myself that was born of praise with the deflation i don't want to and you don't want to at any time no one no human being wants to feel that whatever house of ego has been built up is um is not really as strong as you thought it was. No one wants to feel that. I did not want to feel that. I did not want to feel the shakiness and my mind immediately, besides doing this little defense that I'm doing now, I immediately didn't want to go to Seattle. One person, <laughs> one person said that they didn't want me to talk about the Buddha all day and I was ready to can the whole trip. This is what, this is the defensiveness that is born of that feeling of vulnerability that inevitably comes when I or anyone tethers their identity to something as fleeting, as unreliable as praise or blame or gain or loss or any of these wins. And there are many ways in each of our lives that uh, these these winds blow and uh, it just even today in the course of meeting with people all day there was there were countless experiences where people had their sense of well-being and this is a this is just a way of talking about it their sense of well-being somewhat hostage or or uh, in a state of dependency now, we also have our identity dependent on things turning out the way we want them to. Any of you notice that? Expectations, hopes. We build our house of identity around all kinds of notions of what will make us secure. That's, where the, that's the whole occupation of self, is around what will make me secure. And inevitably, we, meet, we are met with, in one form or another, as the Buddha said, the two reasons that we get irritated, frustrated desire, and wounded pride. And when our desire is frustrated, when we have tethered our well-being to getting what we want, it wounds, it wounds our pride. We deflate. And nobody wants to feel that, that vulnerability. None of us do. It's really painful. And so what do we do? We, our mind rather than feel that tenderness, that vulnerability, that rawness, that sense of deflation, which is so uncomfortable, rather than feel that our hearts have been hurt in some way, that they've, from that sense of deflation, rather than that, our mind tends to go into strategizing, into blame, into demand, into advice, into correcting, into, uh, into distancing, Anybody name any others? Into shopping, into shutting down, into closing off. And the, the endless array of ways that we then run from that, that, um, the, the inherent groundlessness of our identities. 
And, dep- and in, the, in the strategy of running from our, the felt experience of our insecurities, we deprive ourselves, in that strategy, we deprive ourselves of having that vulnerability, that felt experience, be a cause of, be absorbed by and help us touch into the groundedness of being open into the ground of being and deprive ourselves of the compassion and mercy that can flow, that naturally flows from our heart when we say, when we feel and say, ouch. When we really get the ouch of what that, what that feels like. When we get that we're really, really vulnerable. We're really tender because we built our house of self on, um, on a house of cards. But the good news is, if you can feel that vulnerability, it gets absorbed into the ground, the strength of presence, and in the love and mercy that comes from, from meeting our predicament, meeting the pain. Meeting pain with eyes wide open opens the heart of compassion. Now, there, there, is, there are useful there are advantages to wise reflections. Like I brought a, if I can find it now, I brought a reflection to, um, that is a prayer that from a person named, boy, I just had it here, Chitananda. It's a famous thing that goes, everybody and their brother has read. Where are you? Oh, there you are. This is from Swami uh, Chidananda. It's called Anyway. People are. Uh, this is the. This is the way of reflecting, learning how to withstand the the winds of praise and blame and and things not going the way we want. This is one. This is one method. So it's called Anyway. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten. Tomorrow is, is tomorrow will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People really really need help but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. Now, if you reflect on this, you're going to, you're going to, just by your shift in perspective, you will be able to more easily experience the the waves of praise and blame or whatever those different reactions are. And that's one strategy, but it's inevitable that somewhere because of the relentlessness of the need of our of that ten, of our mind to construct some kind of sense of self we will meet that which which uh, triggers that that vulnerability and deflation and we need to somehow learn how to rather than go out of ourselves in attack and complain and blame and which further disconnects us from our the ground in ourselves 
from that sense of presence, from that inherent beauty that you are, our strategy to deal with that, the effect of our hurt just increases our hurt and vulnerability. I saw someone recently who, whose partner has fallen under the, um, fallen under the, um, the use of uh, intoxicants. She's developed an intoxicant uh, habit. And her partner, um, and she's also uh, being, she's also um, developed into a, a lot of, uh, developed a lot of unconscious uh, habits around uh, money and resources. And her partner is feeling, is not necessarily noticing it, but she's, what she's noticing is she is, is she's enraged all the time at this person who's, acting in ways that are so unskillful. But what she's not feeling and what she needs to feel and what all of us need to feel as we're railing against everything that's wrong in the world and in our lives is to feel the engine behind that, which is a feeling of of rawness, of lack of safety, of vulnerability, of tenderness. And And we need to love that. We need to bring tremendous care to that vulnerability. So my recommendation, I know you're not asking for advice, but my recommendation is the next time you notice yourself get angry, frustrated, um, depressed, deflated, uh, insufficient, uh, dissatisfied, whatever it is, you can certainly notice and respect what the story is that your mind's telling you. You can respect and appreciate that your mind is, is, is zeroing in and, and out of love for yourself, you are clarifying who did it, what's wrong, and how you can correct it. But in addition to all those sometimes useful uh, strategies, feel what it feels like. Feel the underlying weather. Sense the hurt. Sense the deflation. Sense what it feels like to feel not enough. Let it be the cause of your presence and your compassion, your love. And and let it be the cause of you finding in that immediacy, finding that, that consciousness within you that can, if you awaken to being conscious and put your trust in being conscious, put your trust in awareness, you will find again, you will, as Derek Walcott says, you will love again the stranger who was yourself. He says, give bread, give wine, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Come back to that in you that knows you by heart, that knows that you're that you're here, that you're enough, that you're, that you're whole, and, this, and that that wholeness and that enoughness and that consciousness needs to envelop that tender place in ourselves that will endlessly look for love in the wrong place. Um, I've read this before here about the the woman who wants some potatoes. This is what our mind does when we get 
stirred up. She wants some potatoes for a meal she's cooking, so she sends her husband to the marketplace to buy potatoes. As he, as, as he walks out the door, she calls after him, be sure to get a good price. So all the way to the marketplace, the man is thinking about the potatoes and what he'll have to do to what he'll have to pay. If he buys the best potatoes, he knows he'll have to pay more than if he buys the lesser quality potatoes. On the other hand, the lesser quality potatoes are just that, not so good. In fact, he knows he'll have to be very careful in buying other than top price potatoes because the seller might try to stick him with a bad potato, even a rotten potato. So we can construct these versions, these deflating stories in our mind. When he thinks of someone cheating him by giving him a rotten potato, he gets really mad. Why do people have to be so greedy and stick me with a rotten potato? Just at this point, he reaches the stall of the potato seller and screams at him, you can keep your rotten potatoes, and walks off. <laughs> we do this, we, and we, we leak a lot, we dump, and it's... Partly because we've manufactured a world of, of, of lack of safety because we're, we've disconnected from ourselves. So I think we can see the way we tell these stories in our mind. But let it all be the cause of making sure that we don't miss what's happening right here in this heart. That line, charity begins at home. Whatever the situation, make sure that you care for for the one who's registering what's happening everywhere else. Make sure that you care for yourself. As uh, I think this is Hafiz in his poem called Sit There. Just sit there right now. Don't do a thing. Just rest. For your separation from God is the hardest work in this world. Let me bring you trays of food and something that you like to drink. You can use my soft words as a cushion for your head. And try to have a sense of humor about all the ways that you try to construct the the world to be safe for you, for you to be special, for you not to... Not to have to feel that vulnerability. Just laugh at what your mind does. I think I probably every other week read from Kabir, who is just the best, uh, has some of the best examples of the, the, the humor of our ego preoccupation. He says, friend, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe but I noticed one day that the cloth was well woven. So I bought some burlap, but I still throw it elegantly over my shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings, and now I discover I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I notice I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed, and now I'm proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its link with the world, it still holds on to one thing. It just holds on to that that self-idea. So when I'm here, I see you beyond your self-idea. And I I hopefully every week you also see beyond your self-idea. That in the moments of mindful attention and simplicity 
after your last view of yourself has ceased and before the next one arises, even right now, you let yourself experience that that ground that's not about an idea, that's not about special, that's not about being a being um, not enough or too good or too little or too high, too low, too rich, too poor, whatever it is, that you just step out of that and you gain some confidence that there is in you an, a kind of invincibility, that a Camus line, in the midst of winter I realized that there was in me a, an invincible summer, that there is right here in this very room, as you are, uh, the this this uh, natural state, which is just pure consciousness, pure, pure wakefulness. And it's so far beyond the idea of yourself. Do you know what I mean by that? And this is real. The idea of yourself is secondhand. As, as Munindra always says, a thought of your mother is not your mother. A thought of yourself is not yourself. So I'm great, I'm not so great. I'm wounded, I'm not so wounded. Whatever it is. And while you're at it, feel the state of the heart of this, of the human, your, the human qualities that has been so affected by these winds, these worldly winds. Meet that with that ground of attention. And love it. Love that house, that shaky house that ego built. Give it love. I don't know, in these moments of just being together, I don't need to be somebody. You don't need to be somebody. You don't need to get anywhere. You don't need to fix anything. There's no suffering in a moment of awareness. It stops. And it's a split second away. What's our doorway to that? Feeling whatever's here. So even our, even our hurt hearts can bring us to this vital point. Everything can be used in the service of moving beyond suffering. I don't know if that made sense, but I love saying it. Um, I think I've exhausted the house that ego built (laughs) for at least for a few minutes. So anyone have any uh, vignettes that they would like to share and, fi- and we have five minutes for other people to confess their delusions this evening. Please, Carol. I had a funny experience. I went to the Earth Expo over the weekend. Sure. I went to the whole Earth Expo over the weekend and this woman comes up to me and she goes, my spirit guide said I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. She goes, what's your biggest problem? I go, my ex won't leave me alone. And I can't find anybody to date. And so she starts asking me questions, and she has this little spray thing. And she's, like, spraying my aura to, to get rid of my negativity and my bad attitudes. But she, was, she was, but she was pulling it in, and she was finding out exactly what my patterns were. And it was really interesting because it really worked. Whatever she did, it let go of all this stuff that was going on with me. Like, she's like... What are the what are the issues? And I said, Well, I'm not pretty enough, and then or I'm too old, or you know, I'm like all these things. And then she was just like, 
by the time she was done, I was like almost laughing. It was pretty interesting, but <laughs> it was a fun time. That's right. You have a beautiful aura. <laughs> Anyone else? The other funny thing was she said, I'll see you really soon. And I went around the corner the other way and she was going this way. I'm like, <laughs> So can you speak loudly enough, Madison, or do you want the mic? Not a big mad, uh huh. That's that's fine. It, the awareness probably is enough. It's very awareness of frustration is different than being frustrated. So the awareness begins to cut through the the identity of frustrated to allow you to just feel what's happening right now. And sometimes the awareness just shows you that it's not, whatever it was is not that substantial and, and you're, you're back home again. And Well, there, there usually isn't any big problem and the, and the big problem is in the story of it. And so it, it may just be some tension in the body. It may be some, there may reveal some sadness. It could, it never know, but nevertheless you're, you're, you're back in real time. You're not in virtual reality at that point. So we actually need to um, make a shift, if you don't mind. I'd like to end, though, with a poem and then a little dedication of our practice as we usually do. But uh, this is a poem from Antonio Machado or Machado? Do you know how to? Machado? Machado? It's called, the la- it call- it's called Last Night I Was Sleeping. Last night I was sleeping. I dreamt marvelous air that a spring was breaking out in my heart. I said, Along with secret aqueduct, O waters, are you coming to me, water of a new life that I have never drunk? Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous air, that I had a beehive here inside my heart, and the gold bees were making white combs of sweet honey from my old failures. So let's just... Sit quietly for a moment, enveloping yourself 
your ideas of yourself, this body that's carried you through this life, enveloping it in loving kindness, loving attention, dropping into your hearts that deep wish that that drives all of our neurotic or compulsive action as well as our wise action, the desire to be happy. And just drop into your heart those words, may I be happy, peaceful. May I feel safe and protected from inner harm, from outer harm. May I feel healthy and strong and and, and accept my limitations Graciously, may I have ease of well-being, sense of ease and a sense of well-being. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be free. And as I want to be happy and peaceful, as I expand my circle of affection, come out of the tangle of me thinking and live in silence, as I flow wider and wider, As I want to be happy, I wish that all beings in all circumstances can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness, that all beings can feel safe and protected in this world from inner harm and outer harm. Deep wish that all beings can know a sense of health and strength and accept their limitations graciously. And a deep wish that all beings everywhere can live with ease and a sense of well-being. And finally, I want to, we want to share that any fruits or merit or benefit or goodness or blessings that have arisen from our practice and dedicate them, dedicate the blessings of our life and practice to the welfare and benefit of all beings, punctuated with a deep wish that all beings can be well and be free. Thank you for your attention. And as usual, just a reminder that we are in the uh, age of, of $600 a month rental fees, so any help with the room rental is deeply appreciated, $150 a week. Uh, it's called Room Rental Donna, and it goes in the basket over there, and it can be, you can offer uh, rent, you can offer support in the form of cash or checks to the church here uh, with the memo line saying uh, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church. That makes it, uh, it will make it eligible to be tax deductible. You could also, uh, if at your leisure at any time, make uh, donations on PayPal for either the room rental Donna or the other part of what's offered here is, is teacher Donna me or whoever's in the seat, and this is based on a tradition that's gone back 2,500 years where teachings have been offered freely because they're considered priceless so that they're accessible to anyone regardless of their resources, uh, and, uh, and also for the opportunity of, um, of 
supporting others to practice generosity in the form of the cycle of giving and receiving has gone on for 2,600 years. So we put out, I put out my begging bowl, and whoever's sitting here will put out the begging bowl, and you're, you have an opportunity to practice generosity. It's a great, um, one of the Buddha's central practices, uh, but it's um, and much appreciated, and you offer, you make it possible for me to go on to the next group, etc. So thank you for both Room Rental and Teacher Donna, and I hope to see you next week. Yvonne Ginsberg will be leading the group. I'm off to lead another retreat, but I'll be back in two weeks. Yvonne Ginsberg is my bedrock, uh, bedrock. Uh, sub for the last more than 10 years, maybe 12, maybe longer now. And I think you, every, every time she meets with people here, you'll learn a lot. She's, um, she's a lifelong, dedicated Dharma teacher, student, and has such a wide understanding of so many different areas. She's been an activist. She's done all kinds of things, psychologist. Anyway, Yvonne will be here next week. I'll be back the following week. And and we also need to actually develop a little crew to help clean up. And, and starting with this evening, to help put the chairs back in the way that they need to, the cushions back, and uh, get the place back to the way it was, which is not a big deal, but we do need some help. Because uh, it's too much for one person or two, two people. So anyone who's willing to stay for a few minutes, please come and talk to Andrea. Is that okay? Anyway, thanks for your practice, thanks for your support, and see you in a couple weeks.
last night. I don't know if you're going to ask a question right now. Yeah, it's fine. So it seems like there's a... Uh, I mean, it seems like there's a sort of like a paradox or something. Lots of paradoxes. Yeah, lots of paradoxes. But it's like on one level, there are things that are healthy to you really want to achieve certain things or uh, whether it be personal relationships. Or, That's right. You know,